the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Megan Liebsch. During my junior year of college, I embarked on a quixotic mission to acquire and distribute 5,000 recycling bins across my university campus, which was seriously lacking in recycling infrastructure. The initiative failed for a variety of reasons, including the crucial and disappointing fact that I didn't have a tractor-trailer truck to pick up the bins from Home Depot. And more saliently, Philadelphia's Municipal Waste Department would not commit to actually recycling any materials if we collected them. Why am I telling this story? Because I think it epitomizes a central conflict in living a sustainable life in our current world. Most of us want to stop the progression of climate change. We want to do our part. But often the solutions require that powerful organizations or people are willing to change the systems that perpetuate our current ecological crisis. In my case, the recycling project failed because of a larger city-wide failure to manage waste and recycling. And even that goal, efficient and sustainable recycling practices, is a drop in the vast ocean of climate change remediation. Because while I believe personal choices like recycling are important, only widespread policy transformation can reverse the worst impacts of climate change. For example, ending fossil fuel dependence through adoption of sustainable energies, or restoring and protecting forests like the Amazon. Such efforts require the concerted action of global governments and powerful industries, especially fossil fuel companies. Which raises another host of questions. How can average citizens hold billion-dollar industries to account, especially when their profitability is tied to polluting and plundering our planet? Catholic social teaching offers several answers to this question, but today I want to focus on two strategies in particular, divestment and shareholder advocacy. Stick with me here. The glossary of terms might sound boring, but I promise the people who engage in shareholder and divestment advocacy are anything but boring. On today's episode, we'll talk to three people who have helped transform Jesuit institutions through this kind of advocacy. Their stories are compelling and relatable, And most of all, they stress to me that transformation is possible with some collective elbow grease. We'll talk about shareholder advocacy later in the episode, but first let's tackle divestment, starting with the definition. To put it simply, divestment is the opposite of investment. When an individual or an institution invests financially, they buy stocks, bonds, and other holdings that are expected to generate income over time. Divesting means getting rid of those holdings. So fossil fuel divestment means relinquishing stocks and holdings in fossil fuel companies. The goal of fossil fuel divestment is to de-incentivize fossil fuel companies and fossil fuel production. In theory, if enough institutions, foundations, and investors take their money out of fossil fuels, then companies won't be able to finance continued oil exploration and mining, which in turn reduces their ability to pollute without consequence. Since the publication of Laudato Si in 2015, Pope Francis has called for the Church to move its investments out of fossil fuels, saying divestment is imperative both environmentally and theologically. In the last two years, several Jesuit institutions have announced divestment from fossil fuel companies, including Creighton University and Loyola University Chicago. For both schools, divestment was the result of years-long dialogue between students, faculty, administration, and other stakeholders. Emily Burke was a sophomore at Creighton University when she first heard the word divestment. 
It all started in a theology class. My sophomore year, I took a class. I remember it exactly. It was Theology 301. Um, it was titled Divine Providence, Catholic Social Teaching and the Problem of Climate Change. So climate change was a thing that I knew about, a thing that I cared about. I didn't like really understand it on a very deep level um, before coming to Creighton and taking this class. And it really gave me these feelings of like panic and dread that I didn't really know how to deal with. Like I would, no joke, like lay awake at night thinking about this issue of climate change. It's so big. Like I'm so small, no matter how much I care about it, there's seemingly nothing I can do. Um, so I was walking around with these feelings for a little bit and it was other students in this class actually that I started to talk to and, you know, turns out they were having the same feelings. So we started, um, discussions about like, okay, we're young people, we're students, like what could we possibly do? Like this issue again is so big and we're, we feel so small. So what could we do? that could make even like a little bit of a difference, which I think is a question that a lot of people ask um, when they start thinking about climate change. But um, in our conversations, we kind of came up with this idea like, okay, we're students at an institution at Creighton University. So, I mean, we have like sort of power there. Um, the university exists to serve us, to serve students. So what can we do in our like small context that could make a difference. And so that's when uh, divestment as a strategy to sort of make a difference or do something small um, sort of came up and we began conversations. And I remember the first time someone said the word divestment, I was like, I have absolutely no idea what that word means, but I was like nodding along, like um, pretending that I did. And I, I went home and I researched it and I mean the other students didn't know that much about it either so together we sort of educated ourselves. Together the Theology 301 students dove into the literature on fossil fuel divestment. They realized that many other U.S. universities had student-led divestment movements and they started talking about forming one at Creighton. It was kind of exciting once we started and you're like okay what can we do like how can we make this happen? Seeing the contagious excitement and enthusiasm um, was really cool. And once we started talking to other students and sort of spreading the word and asking other people to get involved, um, that was also really motivating and exciting because it was sort of like a snowball, like we're starting something and it seems to be working and people are excited about it. Emily says that from the start, movement leaders were looking beyond Creighton's campus. They reasoned that if Creighton were to make a public commitment to divestment, then it would pressure larger and wealthier institutions to follow suit. Back when she was applying for colleges, Emily was drawn to Creighton because its education model was rooted in social justice. So it was important to Emily and other movement leaders that the divestment advocacy come from a shared value of Catholic social teaching and Creighton's Jesuit mission. After all, the movement started in a theology class. Creighton's mission was huge in our efforts. Um, and... I think it was really a unique point of leverage that we have that uh, other like public universities may not have as students. We chose to go here because of the mission. And so we want the university to uphold its mission and live out these values. And so um, it wasn't like we were these antagonists, like knocking on the doors of Creighton, like asking for this this thing, it was us coming from a point of like, we 
value this institution. We like this institution. We like what it stands for. So we argued that investment in the fossil fuel industry was a direct violation of Creighton's mission. Um, knowing what we know about climate change, Creighton stands for, you know, the promotion of justice and the betterment of society and um, works for the preferential option for the poor and vulnerable and all of these things. And basically, as students, we were trying to point out, like, you're teaching us all these great things, but then we're investing in an industry like fossil fuels that's doing all this harm and driving the climate crisis, which we know to affect most severely and most immediately um, the poor and the people that are doing the least to contribute. Um, so that sort of argument was really important in not only appealing to administration, but to students. Emily also told me that the movement was influenced by the Jesuits' universal apostolic preferences, or what we call the UAPs. These preferences outline the areas of concern for Jesuits worldwide, including four key areas, showing the way to God, walking with the marginalized, accompanying youth, and caring for our common home. Through their advocacy, the students outlined how climate change hits impoverished communities hardest, According to the Global Center on Adaptation, climate impacts could push 100 million people in developing countries into poverty as soon as 2030. Under-resourced regions can't adapt to the rapid changes wrought by warmer temperatures. And as students, they made the case that divestment was an important step in accompanying young people. We were arguing that as students, you know, we're the next generation, we're the ones that are going to have to clean up this huge mess of climate change. Once they gathered a small coalition, the students began researching the specifics. How much of Creighton's endowment was invested in fossil fuels in the first place? Creighton is a private university, so its financial information is not publicly available. Initially, all the students knew was that Creighton's total endowment was $568 million. We did find out through a lot of meetings and bureaucracy and uh, pushing and protest that 10.6% of that endowment was invested in fossil fuels and 2% of that 10% was invested in the Carbon Underground 200, which is the 200 top emitting fossil fuel companies. Um, so that was kind of a startling number. Um, it was much more than a lot of our peer institutions, um, a lot of other universities that had divestment movements they were working with like four to five percent of their endowment invested in fossil fuels and here we were sitting with this 10.6 percent number it felt really big and really overwhelming but we started just asking for first an immediate freeze of any new investments so we didn't want anything new to be invested in fossil fuels from there they set up meetings with creighton's finance officers but emily quickly realized they needed more students to form a movement we started organizing and we started having conversations with people. We started a group me, which is like a group messaging app. Um, we just added people to this group me. And so we were, there was a point where we were walking around campus and asking people to sign, um, like put their phone number in or scan a QR code to join this group me to um, receive more information about what we were trying to do and things like that. And from there and from the group that we sort of compiled in this group me it started growing at one point it was like 600 students um we started organizing protests that we could then advertise in that group me and so we had 600 students who could then tell their friends and um we had pretty good 
turn out for these protests. Creighton is a small university in Omaha, Nebraska, with about 4,400 undergrads. So the fact that 600-some students joined the movement blew me away. As the movement grew, Emily and other leaders employed a diverse array of advocacy strategies. They planned protests, yes, but they also scheduled numerous meetings with Creighton's administration. The process was collaborative, Emily says. They were open to listening, um, especially at first more so than uh, any action, but at least they they wanted to hear what we had to say. They valued us as students, which um, we were really respectful and, you know, approaching this with data and evidence. In 2019, the movement made two specific asks. We asked for a divestment of that 2% in the top 200 emitting fossil fuel companies. Um, we asked for that to be divested by 2025. So this was in 2019 um, because that seemed the most immediate and the most damaging. Um, so we were pushing really hard for that. And then the rest of that 10%, we just asked that that be divested by 2050. The idea was that if they committed to that, we could then push them to make it sooner and more commensurate with the climate crisis. So really all of this, we were we were looking to make a social statement. We wanted Creighton to announce that they were divesting um, and why, outlining the moral obligation that they had because of their mission. Um, because the really important part of this was like the public plan to act so that other institutions could see this and it would be that sort of snowball effect. At the same time, Emily and three other students began working on a student referendum in support of those two goals, divesting the 2% of Creighton's portfolio that was invested in top fossil fuel emitting companies, and then a gradual divestment ending in 2050. Emily hoped to show that divestment had broad support, and that it was achievable. The final referendum document was 11 pages with 70 plus citations. It was like this really comprehensive um, document that we worked really hard on. Um, Basically it had to pass through all levels of student government before it could go up for a campus vote. In that process of passing it through the different levels of student government, there was actually quite a bit of pushback that we had to sort of defend our, ourselves and our proposal. Um, we ended up including a couple pages worth of addressing counter arguments in the referendum because of that. Um, there was some, you know, just confusion about what divestment really meant, what our role would be as students asking for this, what the, um, the outcome would be, would it affect scholarships and all that kind of stuff. We finally passed it through all levels of student government which means it went up for a full campus vote. Um, We did a huge organizing push for voter turnout. We were running around campus with business cards with directions for how to vote and asking people who walked past our table in the student center, like, did you vote yet? Because it was just a one-day thing. Um, So at the end of the day, when the results were going to be announced, there was like 150 students gathered in the student center waiting for this announcement. and it turned out that 86% of students who voted were in favor of the legislation with like record high voter turnout for something like a referendum. Um, and this overwhelming approval from the students, all this really meant was that it gets passed on to the desk of the president. A few days later, the university president, Jesuit father Daniel Hendrickson, issued a message to Creighton's student body saying that he appreciated the proposal and the passion of the students. 
while the university could not yet commit to the divestment goals stated in the referendum, Father Hendrickson did begin dialogues with the school's board of trustees to explore reinvestment in companies developing sustainable energy and carbon reduction technologies. Still, some students were disappointed by this slow progress. That was disheartening in the, in the sense that we had put a lot of effort and energy into writing this proposal, getting it passed, getting people to vote for it. Really, it was disappointing for like a day. And then it was the next day, like, okay, what's next? What's our next step? Like, we're not going to just stop here. And so I think it was a wake up call for a lot of students. Like, this isn't as easy as maybe we thought it would be. And um, that honestly gave us a little bit more momentum to continue and to um, turn our energy elsewhere. And so from there, we just organized more protests. We showed that you know, we weren't going away. There was a lot of students who cared about this. We had like 200, 300 students show up at things. And um, it was, I think it was an important step in our movement. Within months of the referendum, Creighton announced a process of partial divestment of 3.2% of its portfolio. There were two instances of partial divestment before they announced full divestment. Those were all um, always moments of celebration. We were like, okay, this, you know, it's better than nothing and we can work with this. Then, in 2021, Father Hendrickson announced that Creighton would phase out its investments in fossil fuels within the decade. This new investment strategy came out of the Board of Trustees review Father Hendrickson had requested after the student referendum. According to Father Hendrickson, quote, This modified policy signifies our strong commitment to sustainable investing and sustainability in general across the university, end quote. In addition to pursuing divestment, the administration also hired a new director of sustainability and launched a number of programs to reduce the campus's carbon output. For Emily, the announcement was a surprise. We were all at home. Um, it was over New Year's, um, so it was not really expected. Nobody was really looking out for it or anticipating it. But the second that everyone received that email, it was like it was a huge celebration. Truly, this crazy process um, was really a huge part of my time at Creighton. Um, a huge part of what I've taken away from um, my Creighton education. Um, a lot of people, I think, talk about their like college days as like the glory days and, you know, like the parties and the formals and whatever. And I think I'm in my life probably going to look back and call it my glory days of, you know, divestment activism. <laughs> so I never, ever would have guessed as, you know, a freshman or a sophomore that I would be doing the things that I was doing. Um, people who know me know me as very quiet and soft-spoken. And so the fact that I was like speaking at protests and, you know, meeting with administration and writing legislation and all of this kind of stuff was uh, really crazy, but really formative for me. Um, this experience of organizing around climate change, especially in the Catholic sphere, has been really energizing. It's given me a lot of hope. Emily graduated in 2021, and she currently works part-time for Catholic Climate Covenant while she's getting her PhD in sociology. Building on the groundwork she laid at Creighton, her research focuses on how the Catholic Church engages with climate change, especially how lay Catholics are responding to these issues. My experience of organizing around divestment 
um, working with other students who were concerned about climate change, but especially so in a Catholic Jesuit context um, was really important to me. It really spoke to me. I feel very um, energized and motivated to continue work. Um, and it feels very like people talk about like feeling right in what you're doing. And um, that's definitely the case for me. And that's definitely what I've found in my experiences. It feels very right to be speaking out about this issue and using Catholic Jesuit mission to sort of back that up and um, continue this work because the issue is so big and it's certainly not going away anytime soon. When I talk to other people who are dealing with this only in a like social theory sense or academic sense, um, it, it feels like something's missing from that conversation. I, and I think that is um, my faith and my, you know, sort of spiritual approach to this. I feel very much that um, this kind of work, this kind of activ activism um, is prophetic witness. If you're ever feeling like you're so small and the issue is so big, think about where you might have power and um, what contexts you sort of exist in that you can uh, push for change or ask hard questions. As a sophomore learning about climate science, um, I never ever thought that I would be doing what I am doing today or would have you know, spoken at protests or any of those crazy things. So um, maybe don't stop at the, I feel so small, the problem is so big. Maybe think a little beyond that. All in all, the student movement and the ultimate administrative decision to divest from fossil fuels played out over two years, and the process will continue for the better part of a decade. As a young person myself, these timelines seem impossibly long, especially when the realities of climate change are so imminent. Human-induced warming has pushed global temperatures up to one degree Celsius above pre-industrial levels. As a result, increasing heat waves, droughts, and floods are destabilizing human and non-human life across the planet. Urgent action is needed. But more than that, I think consistent action is needed. Speaking for myself at least, it's tempting to look for quick fixes to climate change. I can have a brash, let's get it done attitude, and a penchant for MacGyvering a lot of projects. But keeping the planet below 1.5 degrees Celsius of warming is not the same as nailing down a loose floorboard in my kitchen. Ecological action requires the years, even decades-long dedication of scientists, politicians, activists, business leaders, and everyone in between. Meaningful, long-term solutions will not be quick, which can be frustrating. But the story of the divestment movement at Creighton exemplifies the power of long-term advocacy, and cross-sector cooperation. Mm -hmm. 
So far, we've heard about the activist experience, but what does the divestment process entail within an institution? As someone who needed the finer points of a money market account explained to me just a few months ago, I have a hazy idea of the financial world and investing practices. So how do responsible investment strategies actually work? To find out, I talked with Catherine Wyatt. She's the chief investment officer at Loyola University Chicago, and she has managed the fossil fuel divestment process there. Loyola announced divestment from fossil fuels in 2021, but as with Creighton, the process was in the works for many years. Student groups had long advocated for divestment, and increasingly the university administration was becoming interested in aligning its Jesuit mission with a responsible investment strategy. The end goal was to create an investment policy more aligned with our Jesuit Catholic mission. And, um, you know, so I, I think that's an important starting point. I want to define that what we did was design a mission-aligned investment policy to be a policy that comprehensively embodies Jesuit Catholic social traditions, social justice, service to humanity. And obviously a big component of that is care for the environment, which is where the fossil fuel divestment comes in. Specifically, Loyola's board of trustees were inspired by the planning documents from the Midwest Jesuits, who were also working to shift investments away from bad actors in the fossil fuel industry. Over the course of a year, Catherine and her team laid out a plan for incremental divestment and other mission-aligned investment strategies. With an investment portfolio totaling $1.5 billion, this was no small task. We estimated that there was about 2.5% of that portfolio that was identified as being fossil fuel related. So, um, you know, as a starting point, 2.5% of the portfolio exposed to fossil fuels. In reality, that's relative to global benchmark indices, relative to other university endowments, that's actually fairly low. So the good news is that Loyola has always had a socially responsible overlay to our investment policy, although, you know, it previously wasn't explicit about fossil fuels, um, but now it is. So we're in the process of winding that down. Um, Some fossil fuel investments have already been sold. Some are in the process of transitioning out, and much of it is in the private category, which um, will just naturally reduce itself over time as these wind out. So how it gets reinvested, um, you know, we're not specifically identifying those dollars and applying them to something in particular. It gets reinvested into the rest of our portfolio as a whole, but I would say part of the policy is that we are you know, proactively seeking out opportunities to invest in funds or companies or strategies that work to reduce carbon emissions, greenhouse gases, promote social responsibility, and seek solutions for climate change. So we don't have an explicit target for those you know, divestment dollars, but we're actively looking for opportunities to redeploy you know, funds generally into... Um, positive-oriented strategies. Yeah, so you've mentioned this, you know, this big role that mission plays in the way that you're thinking about investment and in the way that Loyola has, you know, kind of long been thinking about its social obligations. Um, So how does, you know, the Jesuit identity impact an investment strategy? Why is that an important component of, you know, the, the financial outlook of the university? Yeah, 
Now, that's a great question. When we sought to create this mission-aligned policy, you know, I took a look at the four universal apostolic preferences as, you know, that was our grounding. We looked at them as sort of a roadmap and came up with an investment policy and approach that I think reflects all of those and incorporates in the process uh, environmental, social, and governance issues. So that's known as ESG in investment lingo. Um, we incorporate ESG into how we select investments. And, you know, I can kind of walk you through kind of the, the way we've aligned with the four UAPs. The, the first one, it talks about showing the way to God through discernment and uh, spiritual exercises. You know, sometimes discernment means having two good and perhaps competing objectives to balance. In this case, you know, we have the dual good of having an endowment that is financially strong, generates good returns, and that can fund scholarships, professorships, and other items critical to the financial stability of the institution, but doing that all while, you know, staying true to the sustainability mission. You know, the second UAP talks about, um, you know, walking with the poor, the outcasts of the world, um, Importantly, a mission of reconciliation and justice. You know, so how do you put that in investment policy language? We work to make sure um, that we include in our investment manager partners teams that are reflective of the diversity that shapes our industry and, you know, our society. And we actively work to include, for example, women and minority represented firms in our you know, pipeline and universe for consideration. You know, the third one talks about accompanying young people in um, in the future. And to that end, we have added a student to the investment policy committee. Um, the student government asked for this position to be created to represent the student body and the work of the investment function. And, um, you know, this, this is a permanent position. It does rotate every year as the, as the students um, move through their academic careers. And then, of course, the fourth universal apostolic preference, um, care for our common home. You know, that, that is the environmental sustainability part. That's the uh, fossil fuel divestment. Catherine says, as a lifelong investment professional, she's seen how responsible investment strategies have grown in popularity. For years, many financial experts thought divestment would negatively impact profit margins for organizations that release their fossil fuel holdings. But according to reports from the University of Edinburgh, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, and even the investment company BlackRock, that hasn't been the case. Most organizations that divested have seen profit margins grow. I think if you look around, you can already see it playing out in our economies and in companies and really, as somebody you know involved in the investment industry, I can I can see the effect it's starting to have right down to corporate governance levels. Um, ESG, which is that environmental social governance framework, that ESG has really exploded. Um, you know, it's really especially during and following the pandemic. But investors have started to really pay attention to the types of businesses they invest into. And the investment dollars flow, flowing into funds which are incorporating these ESG issues 
have really exploded. The, the funds flows into these um, ESG funds has been enormous, both by individual investors, but also by large institutional investors. Um, we're not the first and we won't be the last that have really created an ESG policy. The investor interest has forced a lot of investment managers to consider how they run investment strategies and has really made them get thoughtful about their own ESG policies and how that influences the stocks that they buy. And so with all the dollars going into strategies and companies that are more ESG friendly, this in turn has caused companies, both public and private, to pay attention to what their investors want and adopt corporate policies that are friendlier to the environment, um, take into consideration their carbon footprint, and the well-being of their workforce and communities in which they operate. Investors want to hear how are you, you know, how are you reducing your carbon footprint? What policies do you have in place for the good of your workforce? And so, you know, the capital is forcing uh, companies in that direction, which I think is really cool looking at it with a Catholic lens, providers of capital, which are investors, act as engaged shareholders to promote corporate responsibility, good corporate citizenship, and the companies to which they provide that capital. So by intentionally and responsibly investing our capital in a mission-aligned way, by doing so, we can be a tool to promote social justice Catholic social teaching. According to Catherine, investors have significant power in steering the direction of companies. They can hold companies accountable to commitments like carbon emission reduction or increased worker protections. This strategy is known as shareholder advocacy. While some organizations have divested entirely from polluting industries, others retain stocks in order to push companies toward more just policies. The Jesuits, through the Jesuit Committee on Investment Responsibility, or JCIR, engage in such stakeholder dialogues with companies like American Airlines and Aura Minerals. As the largest airline in the U.S., American emitted nearly 20 million tons of CO2 in 2020. Air travel is incredibly carbon-intensive, and while other industries have worked to curb emissions, the airline industry's footprint has grown. From 1990 to 2012, airline CO2 emissions increased by 75%. Several years ago, JCIR began dialoguing with American Airlines, urging them to pledge net-zero emissions by 2050, in line with the Paris Climate Agreement. And in the fall of 2020, American finally announced a net-zero goal. Now, JCIR is continuing its shareholder advocacy, asking American to pursue investment in biofuels as well. Clearly, shareholder advocacy has the potential to drive enormous change with powerful companies. In addition to its own portfolios, JCIR supports Jesuit institutions like Loyola and Creighton, assisting them in using their remaining shareholder positions to advance humanitarian and environmental interests. To learn more about JCIR, I talked to my colleague John Seely. For decades, he has worked for the Midwest Jesuit province in the area of social justice, ecology, and international ministries, and he currently serves as the chair of JCIR. To give you a sense of the kind of person John is, I'll say this. 
He's retiring this fall, and rather than relax, he'll be using his newfound free time to restore swaths of Midwestern prairie. As one of our colleagues joked, John is the only guy who retires to do harder work. Anyway, I started off asking John a similar question to the one I asked Catherine. Why is it important for the Jesuits to be part of shareholder dialogues? Wouldn't it be better for the Jesuits to release stocks and companies that are polluting and abusing human rights? So we're part of the Interface Center for Corporate Responsibility, um, which is a network of faith-based uh, investors, Catholic, Protestant, uh, uh, Jewish organizations. Uh, so we always work in coalition. And, uh, and we feel like it's important to have, uh, you know, a direct line of communication, um, to have a place at uh, the board table uh, at, with decision makers in companies to help move companies toward uh, what we would hope for, Catholic social teaching. And, and we, we um, obviously are motivated from a faith and humanitarian interest informed by people in the affected areas. Uh, but we need to also make the financial case with companies. And we make the case that, that, that good business is, goes right along with, with good ethics and that that will be rewarded in the long haul. You're right that it does get tricky when uh, certain companies have as their core business model a, a, a problematic approach. Um, we always believe that, that uh, um, you know, dialogue is a way to go, uh, but, uh, but when it's at, at their core business uh, model, um, then increasingly Catholic groups and other faith groups are, many have discerned that, uh, that maybe we need to distance from, from fossil fuels because the core business model is, is to get those fuels to, to market. And, um, and, and that, that needs to be turned around as rapidly as possible to, to more renewables. Pope Francis mentioned that in, in Laudato Si very strongly um, in 2015. And then since then, uh, the Vatican, the Dicastery for Promoting Integral Human Development, the Amazonian Senate, and even Pope Francis himself has said that, uh, that we, we need to re really reconsider distancing from fossil fuel companies uh, if they don't meet the standards of integral ecology. Can you maybe give uh, one or two specific examples of some of the goals that you come into these meetings with or perhaps some of the successes that you've seen um, through JCIR? We, we probably primarily are asking companies to develop corporate policies, which then they can operationalize into their business units. Uh, so, for instance, in the human rights area, uh, or even in the environmental area, when we're working with a mining company, we'll encourage them to call out, uh, for instance, the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights, or the Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People, or you know, the concept of free, prior, and informed consent uh, that affected communities should be consulted, should give consent, uh, before projects, uh, you know, began and, and throughout the life cycle of the project. Um, so using these standards, then, you know, we can, we can hold companies to an accountability in terms of how they measure, how they report, how they uh, 
manage risks uh, in regard to human rights or, or uh, you know, environmental uh, concerns. You know, their use of water, their use of, of, of fuels, um, and their use of sometimes, you know, in the mining sector of, of, of cyanide and, and, and uh, you know, toxic, uh, toxic minerals that are part of the process. John has also assisted the Midwest Jesuits in developing a green investment strategy. Five other Jesuit provinces have divested from oil, coal, and gas, including Canada, which was the first to announce its divestment in 2016. According to John, the Midwest's reinvestment strategy will net an 80% cleaner carbon footprint. It's realignment, uh, or tilt, as they say, away from worse defenders to, to greener, ones seeking greener solutions. And it, it's pretty easy to make the financial case uh, you know, for divestment. The, the energy sector, and especially, especially coal, uh, but the fossil fuels have been you know, uh, among the worst performing uh, companies, worst performing sector, you know, going back 10, 20, 30 year intervals. And, and many could make the case too, that there's baked in risks there, because if we do uh, get the political will globally to, to live toward that 1.5 warming degree scenario that, uh, that uh, the Paris Agreement called for, uh, many of the assets that, uh, that are in reserve need to be untapped. You know, so those are trapped assets, as they say. That is assets that will never make it to market. And there's risk baked into that. So uh, both performance and risk um, case can be made. And, and really, it, it, it will have no measurable impact on, on returns, uh, most studies will show. How has this work impacted you? Has it changed the way that you think about either environmental policy or how that's connected to your faith? That's a great question. I, I realize with humility and honesty that we're all addicted to fossil fuels. I, I have to drive to Omaha tomorrow for some meetings. I'm gonna have to put gas in that rental car. <laughs> uh, there's only one sector that benefits from that addiction and that is the fossil fuel sector. And, and, uh, and, and if you look at the behaviors, the business model of the fossil fuel companies, many are, are status quo. Um, if you look at, their lobbying, you know, to maintain status quo, uh, you know, decades of misinformation about the real risk of climate change. So I guess in the end, you, you know, you ask about faith in prayer. I try to find that, uh, you know, care for creation is really uh, uh, in respect for the creator um, and, and it's a gift. And it's one that I want my children to enjoy. I hope to enjoy it in the time that I have left. And, uh, and in the end, I think a question will be not, were we successful, but were we you know, true to our mission, true to our faith? That's it for today's episode. To learn more about JCIR's work and how you can get involved in sustainable investment movements, check out our show notes. And as always, thanks for listening. AMC 
CMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The communications team is Mike Jordan-Lasky, Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit Justice, on Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and at Facebook.com slash Jesuits. If you're interested in discerning a vocation with the Jesuits, visit BeAJesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at Jesuits.org. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.